You know, one day we will see just how mighty God really is. And some of us will be rejoicing. And some of us, God forbid, some that any of us would be running for the rocks and the mountains to hide us. But if you think about it in the global um, context, day of judgment is coming. Can we have the screen down, please? God will pour out his wrath against sin and rebellion. And we have a time of probation right now. And it's a very, very important time for us to take God seriously, take his church seriously, and be about the Lord's business. Amen? You know, one of my favorite themes for sharing with the young people has been the Exodus. I hope you're not tired of it. I mean, can you get tired of when we talk about God's mighty deeds and his acts? Can we? You know, do you get tired of mashed potatoes and beans uh, because you ate them last week? Do you? No. So don't let anybody say to God's word, oh, we've heard it before. Oh, evangelistic series, we've heard it before, we've been through it before. If you say that, you do not understand the purpose and power of the word of Almighty God. See, friends, being a Christian is not just taking the name of Jesus or going to church. What did I say? Is it, it, not, it is not just taking the name of Jesus. It's not even just being baptized. It's not even just coming to church. Being a Christian means that we live like Jesus, totally dependent upon the Father. What better thing could there be than for us to be absolutely, completely, totally dependent upon the Father? There could be no greater thing. Friends, I want to continue. Today is the fifth episode, and uh, I guess I'll carry on, or I might start afresh at my new churches. And so if you want to get the rest of the story, you'll probably have to come over and, and listen in or something. We'll, um, we'll be uh, sorry to go, very sorry. Let me just say, before I begin, before I, before I preach, let me say something. You know, preachers get up and they say that. Before I preach, let me say something. I hope that you would be saying something while you're preaching. But, um, you know, we have been here, the longest um, that we've stayed in any church has been in your church. Well, there's a few amens, okay. <laughs> the, the longest that we as a family have been in any church is in your church. Is in, in fact, you know what? I'm going to call it my church. This is my church. That's how I feel. I'm personal. I'm sorry. Uh, I take it personally. This is my church. I've been here over nine years, and uh, it's going to be very hard to uproot, you know, and go and establish ourselves somewhere else. I mean, I know Kalamazoo. I know where you live. And if I haven't been to see you, just give me a text and I'll, I'll come and see you before I leave. It's going to be very hard to go, so I need your prayers. And um, we know and believe that God brought us here. I'll say it again. We know and believe that God brought the Faraz family here. It was what the church needed. 
And I know and believe that God will bring the next pastor here and it will be what the church needs. I believe in God-ordained ministry. I don't believe in men manipulating and politics. I believe that God brings people and God takes people. And so we're going to be taken away. And uh, it will be, I pray, God's leading. And I believe that. And that's the only reason why I can go and accept it. Otherwise, I wouldn't accept it. I'd say, no, I'm not going. But because I believe God calls, I believe we should answer. Amen. And God is almighty. And that's the reason why I emphasize this. Do you know that nearly every book in the Bible makes reference to the Exodus, God's power in deliverance? Do you realize that? Do you realize that the Bible says that the story of the Exodus is, was written for our admonition and for our warning? especially for those of us that are alive at the coming or soon coming of Jesus Christ. It's a story that is vitally relevant today. It's a story that flies in the face of all the challenges that non-believers will throw at you and I. The Exodus. Millions of Hebrews out of Egypt. This actually happened 3,500 years ago as the Bible describes. So friends, therefore it's telling us that there is no limit to what God can do for his people. Amen. There is no limit to what God can do for his people as we approach the borders of the heavenly Canaan. God is all loving. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. And he is coming soon. There is nothing impossible for God. What did I say? In fact, the Bible says that. For there is nothing impossible for God. I think it's Luke chapter 1 verse 37. God's word is powerful. It does not lie. God cannot contradict himself. We need the power of his Holy Spirit to understand his word. And friends, we need to realize that Jesus is coming soon because that is the truth. Okay, this is actually part five. I am has sent me. Now, I was um, on vacation around Christmas time. And there was a... By the way, I don't think I prayed, so let me just bow, bow my head here as we pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your presence, for your spirit and for your power, and for your word to do its work, and that it would not return unto you void, that it would water our hearts, strengthen our hearts and minds, Lord, for your service. And we thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, I didn't want that slide to come up just yet, but anyway, it's there now. So if... Um, my family here, you'll remember. Remember we, we were on vacation and there was a really nice um, maid that was cleaning our room and uh, I felt impressed and I said, she's such a nice lady. She's been doing such a nice job for us. I'm going to give her this book. And when she looked at it, she grabbed it and said, oh, Exodus, I'm just about going to see the movie tonight. And I thought, Thank you, Jesus. And I said, this book will tell you the truth about the story. So read it. And she said, I will. And I don't know where she is right now, but I'm praying that she would have read this book because she was going out 
to see a movie that from an, 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 an anal analysis that I, I listened to um, is actually quite uh, contrary to the Bible story. This one is called um, Exodus, Gods and Kings. And it was uh, produced by the, um, oh yes, from the director of Gladiator. Can you imagine what kind of movie that's going to be? I haven't seen it. I don't need to see it. But you see, people that don't read their Bibles will probably go and watch this movie because it has been advertised as the best movie of a Bible story. Can you imagine? It would make you laugh or it would make you cry. And uh, given that there's a strange phenomenon today where, there, where we have more Bibles in circulation than ever before, we have a time in earth's history when people actually read the Word of God less than ever before. You know what um, Christians do today for their Bible knowledge? They'll listen to their preacher. Now, let me ask you a question. Have I ever told you that? Just listen to me. Did I ever once just say, listen to me and do what I say? Did I ever once say that in over nine years? No. What, what have I always said? Go to the Word. It is the Word that has power. It is the Word that will convert your soul. But you need to pray. Because an agnostic would come to the Bible or an atheist would come to the Bible and just go looking for all the apparent contradictions in his, uh, that in his puny mind that he would find. You see, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And this movie is everything but biblical. We really have to say that. Um, it portrays Moses as a man that didn't believe in God. It portrays him as an arrogant, bloodthirsty, cruel person. Now, it was only under a sense of duty and on the spur of the moment that they actually killed an Egyptian, believing that he was to be the liberator and that was how God was going to liberate um, his people. But what did God do to Moses after that? He took him 40 years in the wilderness to go and unlearn everything that he had possibly learned in Egypt and from Egypt and from the opulence and from the luxury and from the display of Egypt. He was taken to the wilderness where now God could work with him. You know, friends, um, Ellen White writes that we, we need to be careful of the influences of the city. And we should do all we can to um, have contact with nature and realize that God has to do the work in us. If, we, if, if all we observe, if all we're surrounded by is worldliness and the things in the city, if all our, our, our experience has to do with, with electronics, um, friends, we will be transformed into the, those images. Now this movie is, is amazing because of the way it portrays God and Moses and the whole story and the way it's twisted and just totally um, unbiblical. Um, I think it was Moses that was portrayed as a mercurial. Was it Moses or was it God? I don't remember, but either one of them. Mercurial means sudden, unpredictable changes of mood. Now, after Moses was uh, 40 years in the wilderness, 
um, he was everything but that. In fact, the Bible says that he was the meekest man after God had finished with him. He was the meekest man that ever lived. And in fact, he is a, a type of Christ. He's a representation of Jesus. When the people were doing wrong, um, Moses would come and intervene for them. When God said, I'm fed up with these people, I'm going to make you a great nation, Moses. Moses fell on his face and said, Lord, have mercy on your people. Don't let the, the, the Egyptians and the other nations say that it was because you were too weak to save your people that now you had to destroy them because of their disobedience. Anyway, Moses is a very important character. You don't mess with what the Bible says about Moses and, and put it um, in the way you think it should be. God is portrayed as an arbitrary um, being that keeps changing his mind. In fact, the voice that was used, used for God was a 12-year-old um, little boy. And uh, you do not come out with a biblical picture in the least. The um, actor um, that played Moses is atheistic or agnostic, but definitely not uh, religious. Friends, Exodus, gods and kings. Ridley Scott, he the director of the Gladiator movie, full of violence, portraying Moses with a sword, slashing around and killing people. And the director says that the Bible stories are full of magic and science fiction. Do you really think that he's qualified to portray the story biblically? You know, I, I really, where's my Bible? Who got my Bible? Here it is. I, I really believe that when we ask God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to guide us into the understanding of His Word through, through the power of His Holy Spirit, it's better than any human movie, okay? What we need is the Holy Spirit, not violence and blood and, and uh, romance and all of that. Illicit romance, by the way. He says, though it's the, the best Bible movie, um, he doesn't believe that the story is real. And in fact, about religion, he says, religion, this is uh, Ridley Scott, says the religion is the biggest source of evil. Do you know of any just and kind and tolerant religion? And there you see an in innuendo that even Christianity and the God of the Bible is intolerant. How is God being portrayed in these movies, friends? It's not the God that I read about in the Bible. Miriam even interacts with, with um, incorrectly, uh, Pharaoh being Ramses. We know that's not right. Um, and she says that she wasn't Moses' sister. All of these kinds of things. Anyway, don't need to carry on on that. And Moses portraying himself as somebody that the, the, um, the Jews had to, the Hebrews had to um, trust in him. But that is, of course, far from the Bible truth. Let us look at it as we go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 30, um, 23. And Moses is in um, Midian. Remember that. He's in Midian. And uh, he is in a certain place. He is in the Mount of God. And we'll see what happens. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. That was the, the king that wanted to, to kill Moses, the Pharaoh. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant, his, 
promise with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had pity. God is portrayed as a pitying God. And then the Bible says, in fact, let, let us um, look at it here. See, Moses has been uh, humbled now by 40 years of being in, in the wilderness. And he's tending the sheep. He's married one of Jethro's seven daughters. And he's learning how to lead. He's learning how to be patient. And uh, I love the way that the Bible describes it. In uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, turn with me in, in your Bibles and read together. Let us read. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God. I love it when the Bible starts giving us details about the description of these things. The, the mountain of God was in Midian, and it's also called Horeb. Okay, The mountain of God, Horeb, Mount Sinai, three names for one mountain. Did you get that? Tell me amen if you got it. It's very important because the uh, mountain of God and Horeb and Mount Sinai are in northwest Saudi Arabia, which is where uh, Midian is, not on the Sinai Peninsula, as tradition has had us to believe. Then verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. So we go to, to the burning bush. What did it say there? Question? Who appeared? That's right, an angel of the Lord. Now sometimes people have a problem with this and they think, well, is, is, is God an angel? Or is Jesus an angel? Or is, is um, and they get confused here. But you know, angel actually means messenger. An angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord, sorry it says, appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and, behold, and he beheld the bush and it burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. You know, sometimes, friends, God needs to do something to get our attention. And you know, sometimes it can be through trial and tribulation that he catches our attention. It's often in such a case as that that we will turn to God as never before. Do you know what I'm talking about? In trials and tribulation is when we turn to God. But God got his attention in a nice way, I thought, here, don't you think? A very interesting way. And so the Bible says, now um, Moses, when he, verse 4, when he saw this, it says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He called him by his name. And Moses said, here I am. And he said, draw not near. Put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The place where you stand is holy ground. Where was he standing? The Mount of God. Another name for the Mount of God? Mount Horeb. 
Another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. He is on Mount Sinai. And he is hearing God's voice coming out of the burning bush and calling his name. And he says, here I am. And the Bible says that God told Moses to take off his shoes because he is on holy ground. Reverence for God. How do we approach God? He said, here I am. And Moses, the Bible tells us, hid his face. Humility and reverence should characterize the deportment of all who come into the presence of God. In the name of Jesus, we may come before him with confidence, but we must not approach him with the boldness of presumption as though we were on a level, or he were on a level with ourselves. How we dress, how we come into the sanctuary, how we... Um, behave ourselves while the sermon is being preached. It's all a question of reverence. It's all a question of how well do we know God? Do we understand that He is a holy, all-consuming, sin-consuming God? And that we, to come before Him in, in His presence, need to approach Him in humility and in, in reverence. There are those who address the great and all-powerful and holy God who dwells in high, unapproachable um, holiness as though they would address an equal or even an inferior. There are those who conduct themselves in his house as they would not presume to do in the audience chamber of an earthly ruler. These should remember that they are in his sight whom seraph or angels adore, before whom angels veil their faces. God is greatly to be reverenced. All who truly realize his presence will bow in humility before him. And like Jacob be, beholding the vision of God, they will cry out, how dreadful is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Friends, I, I cannot stress enough the uh, importance of reverence to God. Amen? And it's because of our lax attitude and, and a casual attitude that's portrayed in, in, in church and in services that people have the idea that uh, God is just like one of us or, or even less. The burning bush experience for Moses was a, a holy encounter with God on that holy mountain. You know, there are, um, there's a lot of research about the mountain of God. They found a mountain in northwest uh, Saudi Arabia, where Midian is, that has the black, that has the top totally charred. The rocks are burnt as if a furnace of fire came down on top of that mountain. It's fascinating. In fact, I'd encourage you to uh, read any of these books. The Mountain of Moses, The Discovery of Mount Sinai by Larry Williams and other books that uh, you, you see here. The Discovery of the True Mount Sinai, The Gold of Exodus by Howard Bloom 
And then there's another one, the mountain of God, which uh, shows um, fascinating pictures by Robert um, Cornuke and uh, David Holbrook. And another book entitled The Exodus by Dr. Leonard Muller. And uh, he is of the Karolinska Institute of Stockholm, Sweden. But friends, what I find in these um, discoveries of late is that it's drawing attention back to the, the story of the Exodus. And uh, at this this time today, we're looking at, it is the great I am that has sent Moses. We see Moses in um, obedience, in reverence to God. Do you think that he said, why should I take off my shoes, God? Um, do you think he answered him in any kind of insolent way or casual way? No, he obeyed. That is part of reverence. Now, I think we need some, some help here. We need a little help because this word obedience um, needs to be defined. It's a bit of a bad word today. Even in the dictionary, it's, in some dictionaries, it's portrayed uh, somewhat um, in a negative light. So just, I went to the internet and I found a definition of obedience. And uh, this is what um, I came up with. Online Cambridge Dictionary. Number one definition was doing or willing to do what you have been asked or ordered to do by someone in authority. Now if you think about it, that's probably accurate, but there's a kind of a hint of negativity in there. Do you know what I'm saying? It seems to be that obedience you have to, is, is what you're ordered to do. So as somebody in authority, and you know, Taking an order can be a bit of a pain, can't it? And having somebody over authority, uh, in authority over you is not very nice generally, is it? So that was the, the definition that um, I, I saw. And then usually that there's a phrase to exemplify it. And then this was the example of the definition of obedience. And so there was this sentence said, She demanded strict obedience from her child. Poor child, we feel like saying, don't we? with that definition. Well, here's another definition. De definition number two. I went into my library and I pulled out um, a hardback copy of a dictionary. And it was Collins Dictionary and, and Thesaurus, Harper and Collins pu pub sorry, Publishers of 1987. Here's a definition I got of obedience there. Accordance, acquiescence, agreement, compliance, Conformability, deference, docility, dutifulness, duty, observance, respect, reverence. There is even the word reverence in my dictionary as related um, to a definition of, of obedience. Reverence, submission, submissiveness, subservience, tractability. And there's even um, the definition then of obedient, acquiescence, amenable, um, biddable, compliant, Deferential, docile, duteous, dutiful, law-abiding. Is there anything wrong with being law-abiding? Ob um, observant, regardful, respectful, submissive, subservient, tractable, under control. Wow. Well-trained and yielding. I like those definitions. I don't know about you. I like those definitions of obedience. You know... I've got a definition of obedience as the world sees it today. Do you know how the world defines defi um, obedience today? Anybody want to ha hazard a guess? 
Sorry? Do my own thing. People think that um, um, if we, let me see, let me see if I can find it. Where is it? Where is the definition? Ah, there it is. Today's definition of obedience is legalism. Now, is legalism a good kind of portrayal of obedience or a negative portrayal of obedience? It's negative, isn't it? Have you ever heard somebody call you a Seventh-day Adventist? Oh, you keep the Sabbath, don't you? Oh, you're, you're so legalistic. Obedience is called legalism. And the way that the, way that the, the um, people do it is, let's just give keeping the law and obedience a bad name. You see, Barbara, to be a commandment-keeping person, You've just been baptized. You've just promised that you'll keep the commandments of God. It's not legalistic. Legalistic is trying to be saved with your own rules or come up with your own rules of what religion is. Legalism is being a Pharisee. So this definition of obedience to God, so you know, we want to obey God. We want to follow Him because it's the best thing we should do. Um, people say that's legalism. They want to make you feel bad for doing the right thing. There's no argument really against it. They just want to put you down and make you feel bad. Feel the oddball out. Feel the odd one out. The majority of people consider obedience to God's law as legalism. Now, if you were driving along in your car, and I was, I was on my way to Lansing. Um, I've been to Lansing, I don't know how many times and uh, over there to Holly and Grand Blanc the past five weeks. It's been a lot of time on the road, but I was on my way to, to Lansing, and I was doing 65. 65 miles an hour. No, okay, let me tell the truth. I think it was going 69 miles an hour. There you go. It was 60 mile, 69 miles an hour. And this car comes past me. Zoom! And all of a sudden, I was just... Seeing he, as he flew past, I saw kind of in the distance, I saw kind of a car. And it was kind of horizontal in the distance. And then as I got closer, it kind of looked blue. And as I, I looked closer, I said, wow, that's a cop car. That's a police officer. And, uh, and then I said, well, I looked at my gauge and thought, aren't I glad I'm doing the speed limit? In fact, I'm less than the speed limit. But the guy that overtook me or passed me must have been going a lot faster. And so he passed the, 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 the police car. I passed the police car. And I was just happily driving along and um, listening to something on my phone, something nice. And I looked in the mirror. He was still there. He didn't move. And I kept driving along. And, and this other car was still speeding ahead. I thought, didn't he see the, the car? And um, after a while... I saw the blue car move in my rearview mirror, and it moved. And then before you knew what, it was right behind me. And um, before you knew what, it was right in front of me, and it kept on going, chasing that other car. Then after a while, before you knew what, he had his decorations going. And um, the other car was pulled over, and um, I felt sorry for him. I don't know what the police car would do. You know, some policemen are really nice. I guess if I was speeding, I would say I'd have an excuse. I'll always make sure I have a good excuse. Look, I'm a, I'm a church pastor, and I'm on my way to a funeral. If, if it's the case, you know, I wouldn't tell a lie. I'll, I'll f think of some reason 
why as a pastor I need to drive fast. Somebody's about to die and I need to get there before they die. You know, policemen are very reasonable people. Have you found that? I have found that. Michigan policemen are really very reasonable people. And I've been let off um, once or I think once. And um, so now let's, I, I, I drove past and I saw the police car with his decorations going and the other car dutifully stopped. And um, now the, the policeman comes up to him. I don't know. Let's just say, for instance, this is what happened. And he, he winds down his window and he says, hello. Yes, police officer. Do you know that you were doing 82 miles an hour? And I don't know. Maybe, maybe he, he could have said, um, oh, really? Did I, did I? I didn't notice. He, he could have said something like that, right? He could. But what let, how do you think the police officer would, would say? You know, and um, he would probably kind of, put his head in the window, see if there's any smell of anything, and he might ask him to, you know, blow into this little tube or something like that. Um, and, you know, if, if you behave yourself and if you're polite and if you're, you're honest and, and, and nice, and um, I think policemen would be, be kind of gracious to you. But let's say the, poli the policeman stops him, he winds down the window and he says, hello, police. Um, policeman and then the police officer says, do you know you were doing nearly 62 miles per hour? And what would happen if he turned to the police officer and said, excuse me? If he said to the police officer, don't be so legalistic. Why are you being so legalistic? Is it legalistic to keep to a speed limit? Is it legalistic to stop at a red light? Then why is it legalistic to keep the fourth commandment? Tell me that. Answer me that question. Why is it legalistic to keep the fourth commandment? Yet so many people will throw that in your face and in my face and try and make us feel bad. And it is something that is really from the enemy. Friends, God expects obedience in keeping the Sabbath, in returning tithes, in, return, in giving our offerings. He expects obedience. Don't come up with this story of, oh, God will understand. I can't afford to return my tithes. You can't afford to do any other but return your tithes. You see, obedience is not legalistic. See, the opposite of being obedient would be um, breaking the law of God and, and the commandments of God. And the, the definition that we have of sin is that we break the commandments of God. I don't want to do that, do you? So Moses is reverent. He's obedient to God. And God has an assignment for him. The great I am has an assignment for Moses. Moses waited in reverence and awe before God. The words continued, and God speaks, and now he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, in, in Egypt and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, a large, and to a land flowing with milk and honey. Come now, therefore, and I will send you, Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh 
that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, up out of Egypt. Moses was amazed and terrified at the command. He drew back and saying, who am I, Lord, that I should go unto Pharaoh? You know, we have a task, we have an assignment, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we might say like Moses, who am I? We might not have put any glow tracks in our pockets yet, but there's still time. Put a glow track in your pocket, and you'll be amazed when all of a sudden you will come into a situation where you could give a glow tract to somebody. And you'll be kicking yourself because God opens up a way and you didn't have a glow tract with you. Friends, God has given you an assignment. He's given me an assignment. The great I am. And he wants us to be obedient to him. So Moses draws back. And God said, I will be with you, Moses. I will surely be with you. And this is the token that I will be with you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Which mountain? The mountain of God. Horeb, Mount Sinai. Moses was on Mount Sinai in Midian, northwest Saudi Arabia. Jabal Alors is what it's called in Arabic. And he was going to go back to Egypt and come, come across the route that he had gone before. But then God was going to do something mighty. Friends, God has you and I on an assignment. And he wants to do something mighty. He wants to pour out his spirit upon your efforts, upon the efforts of this church. But do we respect him enough to obey him, to do what he's asking of us? Certainly I will be with you. Moses thought, he started thinking about the difficulties. Have you ever heard somebody say, okay, we're going to go out door to door next Sabbath. And do you start thinking of the difficulties or of the reasons why you can't go or why the, re the reasons why you don't want to, to witness or give a Bible study? Moses thought of all the difficulties to be encountered, of the blindness, the ignorance, the unbelief of his people, many of whom were almost destitute of a knowledge of God. How can I bring these people out, God? How will they even listen to me or pay any attention to me? Behold, he said, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto them, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And then God answered and said, I am that I am. Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent you. This is an amazing description of God. I am. You know, the, the Jews, as they would write the Bible, they wouldn't want to pronounce this name or write it down in reverence to it. So they would write something else to um, portray this. Yahweh is, is one of them. I am has sent you. Friends, how much power does I am have? How much love does I am have? 
How much patience does I am have? I am sent Moses on an assignment. He tried to give God excuses. And so often we're the same, aren't we? We want to give God excuses. Oh, I didn't go to, to Newbold, or I didn't go to Andrews, or I didn't go to seminary. If you read the Bible, if you have been baptized, you've been converted, you've become a Christian, you are qualified. Do you remember the story of the, um, the demoniacs that were possessed uh, with demons? Um, how much training did they have? They had no training. The only training that they had was the experience of Christ's power. That's the training they needed. And they went forward on God's assignment. They wanted to be close to Jesus and stay with him in the boat and, and go with him wherever they wanted. It's not enough just to be with Jesus. You have to go and speak for him. And then when you go and speak for him, he will send you his power. The great I am will give you his Holy Spirit and will make you effective if we trust in him he will do that for us friends I am sent Moses and I am is sending me I am is sending you what is my response what is your response to him are you willing to listen to his voice are you willing to be obedient and realize that it's not legalism and you know what? If we care for others, and if we pray for others, it will do our own soul a whole lot of good. I remember, you probably heard of the story of a, a man that is lost in a blizzard of snow. And he's trying to find his way and uh, he comes across a man lying in the snow, frozen in, in, in the snow. He's, he's deep in, in the snow and he, he can't move, but he's conscious. He, he's alive and, and he, he takes the snow away and he rubs the, le the man's legs and, and he puts him on his shoulders. And then he goes the rest of the journey, trudging through the snow with this heavy burden on his back. And as he's going through this um, blizzard, exerting himself for himself and for this man that he has on his shoulders, his heart is pumping. His muscles are, are producing heat. The, the energy is there. Somehow he's, he's energized to carry this man. And as he's carrying this man, the warmth of his body is conveyed to the body of the man he's carrying. And he's able to find refuge. He, he sees in the distance uh, a house with, with light on and there's a chimney and the fire is going. And he comes to the door and he drops practically dead. And the owner of the house comes out and brings the two in and they can warm together in that house. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. And he wants us to be about his father's business. We have an assignment from the great I am. And as we look out for the salvation of others, for our relatives, our brothers, our sisters, our children, our grandchildren, as we agonize with God, as we pray for them, we will find a lot more content for our prayers. We will find a lot more urgency as we battle with people, 
as we cry out to God. When the devil puts these ideas in their mind that it's legalism to keep the Sabbath. What can we do? What can we say? Nothing more than, Lord, please help them. I have made so many appeals in this church. And I wonder how many have been followed through. I remember making appeals. Um, that's why I don't make many appeals these days. I remember making appeal. How many of you this year want to win a soul to Jesus Christ? Everybody stands up. Friends, are we really about our Father's business? Examine yourself. How many souls have you brought to baptism in the last 10 years? How many souls? The great I am is asking us to do that, yes or no? He is. How many souls did you bring to Jesus and were baptized, friends? You must answer that question. And according to your answer to that question, you will have an evaluation of how much you are listening to God, obeying Him, and going on the assignment that the great I am has given you. So my question to you this morning is, will you take up the assignment of the great I am? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.